Welcome to Talking Junk. I'm your host, Jason Melendez. Live now every week on Fridays. Talking Junk. A multitude of professionals in different aspects, different walks of life. You have to come on and talk junk like a normal person. Welcome to Talking Junk. Today's Friday. Where are you? Hopefully watching us. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing good. How are you? Uh, AJ, doing all right. Can't complain. I found out today that I'm going to have a... Uh, I have a midterm. A baby? Like I, what? Pretty much, no. I, I'd be hyped about having a baby. That would mean a lot of good things have been going on. But uh, no. Um, yeah, I got a midterm my birthday. My birthday's got something serious. It's my 30th. So I'm just trying to relegate to that and be like, all right. Just, oh, Welcome to being a grown-up. Man, ain't got nothing to do with being well, a grown-up. Since, since we're talking about babies, well, never mind. we might as well introduce our guest. <laughs> since we're talking about yeah, babies, baby? we might as well introduce our guest. Yeah, I mean, he's his babies have helped produce many, many stand-up oh. comedians' careers. So, without further ado... My man, R. Scott Edwards. How are you today, Scott? Oh, oh, sorry. I was doing a little bourbon. (laughs) Uh, That's how you start out, right? Hey, I just want to work with with you folks. We got Uh, a few drinks here. Ah, there you go. (laughs) What's what's your preference? I mean, that usually don't happen until tomorrow night. uh, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to be on the Talking Junk Show, by the way. I have a podcast, uh, stand-up comedy, your host and MC, and I'm Scott Edwards. Hey, there we go. Woo! Look at that. You got his That's own audience. Guy. That's okay. what we're talking about, man. <laughs> we need to step up our got game. a little bit of whiskey for you. Right? There you go. A little crown. Woo! A little crown peach. Hey, I got wow. some for you. Although, I must admit, I was drinking some uh, watermelon Ciroc in my uh, my son kiss here, but... Oh, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I was peer pressured into trying a Ford local yesterday. Yeah, how was that? Oh, oh. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I mean, it was peer pressure. I bet that was his exact face. It was Dre was one of them, if anybody's wondering. Dre was one of those people that forced me to get a blue rest before local. Uh, Scott, he's uh, one of our co-parts on the break room. Uh, A long-time friend of mine. And he's like, man, you're almost turning 30. You guys got to try Da-da-da. It's garbage, but this is Did the you best just say- one, and you got to try it. It's, like, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's the kind of friend that Did you really need. you just say need. Dre peer pressured you? Yes, he was one of two people. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Dre was one of two people. I'm disappointed in both of them. I'm disappointed <laughs> in you. You really well, let them peer I mean, pressure you into trying a nasty ass four logo? Into that Again, out of everything. It was my like, boys. I've known them both for over a decade. Like we went to high school together. Yeah, trust me. That's what it was. They were saying like it's garbage. Like it's the, some of the worst stuff ever. But to never have had one, like, are you a loser? And it's just like you guys are not you're gonna you're not gonna let it go. So anybody forward. <laughs> I'm gonna age myself, but if you guys ever get that desperate, you gotta try Thunderbird out of a paper bag. That'll put uh Ooh. hair on your balls, I'll tell you. 
<laughs> I think I've heard of Thunderbird. I'm not sure if I've seen it, but you know what? If I see it, I'm going yep. to give you Scott. And I'm going to be like, Scott said this might put hair in my balls. I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever had Cisco? Yes, yes. China, I'm oh. sorry. We, it uh, puts uh, hair somewhere different for you. That's all right. You could say on my balls. <laughs> her balls are rubber. <laughs> it's way more awkward for Jenna. <laughs> yeah, this is getting off to a great start. I bet your audience is. is riveted. Oh, probably well, not. That's why they always come back. Sunshine, Donna, ah. you know, always here. Well, why, why don't you tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself, Scott? Oh, well, the reason I've been invited on this amazing talking junk show is uh, because of my history. I owned a chain of comedy clubs for over 20 years, and this goes back a few decades, but in the 80s and 90s, I helped launch some uh, terrific careers and work with people like Jane Leno, Seinfeld, Dana Carvey, and I was on the show today to share some of those stories. It should be fun. Well, how'd you get into the so business? You were going to say, Colin? Uh, I was going uh, to. It's, it's actually with a T. I'm us. sorry. Yes, Colin. Colin. Um, but I was actually going to say, what coast were you? Uh, did you have these on? I'm presuming the East Coast because of Seinfeld and, and those who you, you, Jay Leno. I know they're from New York, so it must have been East Coast clubs, correct? Yeah, one of the pictures I sent you was the entrance of my club in the heyday. Uh, it was called Laughs Unlimited. We used to have lines around the block. And this is wow. in beautiful downtown Sacramento, California, in a what? tourist area called Old Sack. Now we're back to Ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. My, I might have family that's been there because a lot of my uh, my dad's side live in uh, Sacramento. They lived in Old Sack? <laughs> I, I don't I think, think anybody really lives in Old Sack, but... Uh, <laughs> We were there for, uh, I was there for 21 years. The club is actually still there. Oh, wow. But uh, just to give you an idea, in 1980, August of 1980, my very first opening act, making $150 a week, was Gary Shandling. I know that name. Gary Shandling had his uh, the Larry Sanders show. He had the Gary Sanders uh, Shandling show. He was on every show you could think of in several movies. And uh, uh, sadly, he passed away a couple years ago, but he is was one of the funniest guys in America for a long time. Uh, the headliner was a uh, guy who had his own theater in Las Vegas for over uh, 12 years, uh, George Wallace. And, but that was my very first show. So that was uh, back in good, the very sure. beginnings. I was, I was the baby then. I wasn't even a baby then. <laughs> I was still yeah, right. swimming somewhere in an old sack. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Nice. That was good. All right. That was a good one. It was about seven years uh, too early for me. <laughs> well, I was a, a youngster, 24 years old. It was the uh, third company I had opened. Wow. Uh, my first one, I was 17. And um, it was really exciting. Uh, the, the quick backstory is I was selling life insurance and hated it. And I was on my uh, on a vacation with a then girlfriend, soon to be wife, soon to be ex-wife um, <laughs> in Los Angeles. And there was a little satellite comedy store room in Westwood. And I went there as a tourist and saw Dave Coulier and Sandra Bernhardt and a few other people on stage. And I talked to the comics after the show and I said, man, they need this in Sacramento. Came up to town, quit my job, went bankrupt, and uh, 
finagled my way into a room and went to town. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. Just wow. for you uh, absent-minded people out there who don't know who Coulier is, he's Mr. Cut It Out. Yeah, he was on Full House, Fuller <laughs> House, and uh, a good friend. He was actually at my bas- bachelor party naked. Don't get that out. Don't <laughs> let Did somebody say wood? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Uncle, since it was pretty Uncle much Joey. all men at the time, uh, there was no wood. Uh, but it was pretty shocking for all my friends <laughs> to have this uh, TV celebrity come walking out of the room with his uh, pants around his ankles. <laughs> Very entertaining. But, uh, yeah, it's Dave Coulier, in fact, house. he uh, was uh, doing a movie with Cheech and Chong, and he invited me on set. And I think you got a picture from that. And I got a chance to go on set on one of the early Cheech and Chong movies. And uh, Dave Couillet and I had a little uh, side fun when the camera was off. Uh, oh, that's Dave on the right, but go one more picture or two. Let's see. It'd be the last one, I guess. All right. There you go. That's <laughs> Dave Couillet. I'm copping a field backstage. He was... Uh, Playing a uh, dressed up as a gal for a uh, as a trans transgender person for a Cheech and Chong movie, and he invited me on set, and we had a little fun uh, when the cameras weren't rolling. <laughs> well, well like hey, we don't fun. we don't we don't kiss and tell on this podcast, so <laughs> well, we don't want to know what you guys the, did when the cameras wasn't rolling. Yeah, right. One of the many experiences. <laughs> There's another great story that uh, I get to share. Uh, it actually comes from 1980, and uh, Dave Couillet and Bob Saget were both working for me. Uh, Saget closing, Couillet was the feature act at that point. Still, this is way before Full House, before uh, America's Funniest Videos, all the shows they did. But um, uh, the three of us were having cocktails after the show, and I'm sitting between... Uh, Dave and Bob, and I could see they're passing notes under the table and then cracking up. And I was like, you know, I felt like a third wheel here. And I go, hey, 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 you know, what What the hell's going on? Get me in on the joke. And uh, Saget pulls up this folded up piece of paper. And inside, he unfolded the paper. There was like some lint from under the table. And David said, here's some of my pubic hair. I want you to have this. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the kind of stuff that would crack them up. You know, they're very good friends. It just what, sounds like was Bob Say always really like vulgar back then, or was that like post Full House? Because when I found out that he, the way that he was in his stand up, seeing him at Full House, I was kind of shocked. But like, was he always like that in the background? Like when he was oh, he or? was always filthy. Um, but in a, in, a, <laughs> in a positive way, he did a lot of. Uh, a lot of people don't know he's uh, quite a guitarist and singer, and he used to mm. do a lot of uh, uh, what do they call nasty limericks to uh, popular songs as part of his act back in those days. So he was he was the first Weird Al Yankovic. There you go. Exactly. Okay. And uh, uh, later on, when Full House was running and he would come back to the club, we'd always have to tell the audience. I mean, you can't believe how many moms wanted to bring their kids in to see the show because the star of Full House was there. And I'm going, no, no, no kids. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't the Bob Saget you see on TV. (laughs) This is the real fucking Bob Saget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it definitely uh, not the Bob Saget you see on TV. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. Need a couple drinks but, to handle that. But a great guy. I mean, one of the nicest guys you ever meet. Very funny and uh, original. And uh, his character was so. Um, have any of you heard of the Aristocrats? Yes. Yes. The mm-hmm. joke. They did a. They actually did a short movie on it. He actually. Well, actually, no. The no, it's a version of the Aristocrats. I don't know the joke. I know the movie. Oh, oh. Well, the movie's all about the joke, guys. But do you care to enlighten? I'll, I'll give you the short version. The short version is this guy goes into a movie producer and says, I got to do this. I want to do this movie. And what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to come up on stage and then I'm bringing my wife up on stage and we're going to start doing some juggling. And then if we don't get the audience, I'm going to drop my drawers. And I'm going to shit right there on the stage. And, <laughs> and the producer's liking like this. And, and he goes, and, the, and then my wife's going to top that off because she's going to shove me out of the way and she's going to shit right on top of my shit right on top of the stage, right in front of all the customers. And you know what? If they don't like that, we're going to pick that shit up and throw it at the audience. Oh and the producer God. goes, oh, that's crazy. What's the name of the show? Oh, the aristocrats. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I have to go back and recontextualize the whole. Yeah, now I got to tell you, that was yeah. my short attempt to tell the story. But when you see the movie, there's like 30 different professional entertainers that tell it 30 different ways. Wow. The punchline okay. is the aristocrats. Okay. <laughs> that's that's great. So you started in the You did say you wanted this as a clean show, right? What what's yeah, the, I don't yeah. I don't I don't know that word. <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't know. We know that word a little bit. You must bit not have heard the break, drunk, but uh <laughs> yeah, the break the break room we really we don't give a fuck. Uh, yeah, we, we keep we'll it a little cordial. No, Break Room is is your other show. I, I'm uh, happy to be on Talking Junk, but I got to tell you, I was a little disappointed I wasn't on Break Room. But I got to tell you, the T-shirts that you guys sell for Talking Junk are the best, and everybody out there should have one. Thank you. They definitely well, thank should. You. Appreciate that. We got a couple of them out there. What's that? One. We got a couple of them out there, like the one that we're wearing right now. Yeah, we got a couple of break room shirts. We also got one. I don't know if you know this, Scott, but we are uh, we were plagiarized a little bit. We, no. we got something, we got something stolen from us. Uh, mm-hmm. A rapper by the name of Soldier Boy uh, kind of stole our former beat. So we have a shirt that says uh, Soldier No Swiping. And he's uh, <laughs> he's in the likeness of. Uh, Swiper the Fox from Dora the Explorer. Oh, so be funny. Well, yeah, your be- t-shirts are a hot commodity, and all your listeners should have one. They definitely I should. He knows hot commodities. Yeah. He helped cement legends. Hey, speaking, speaking of legends, legends, you want to hear something very few people know? Absolutely. Back in the early 80s, long before he was Mr. Famous, Mr. Wonderful. Uh, I had on my stage as an opening act for one week, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was a stand-up comedian? Well, no. He was actually in his first TV role as an actor on a show called Bosom Buddies. And in that that show, one of the shows, he had to do some stand-up comedy. He's from the Sacramento area. He graduated from Sac State. And he came into my club. 
I want to know how he graduated from Sac State. <laughs> he was and a little ballsy to go there. Bob Saget and work for a week so he could get into the role. Sunshine, I think you have that's a little crazy. bit more than two T-shirts. I have no idea. That's pretty good. Like that says a lot about his acting at an uh, earlier point, though. That uh, he was dedicated enough, or at least they were wanting to be authentic enough to actually have going on stage. Was he any right? Good? Right. It was. He. It was interesting because it was only one episode of this Bosom Buddies TV show, which lasted two or three years. And uh, the material we helped him with, and I was directing him, and Bob Saget was helping write. Uh, when we saw it on the show, it was it made you feel good that the work paid off. But uh, it, it, hey, a lot Luna. of people don't think of Tom Hanks as a comic. No, no, no that surprised me. All. Yeah, I thought you would find that interesting. A lot of people don't know that. Very interesting. I would never. Absolutely. Uh, that's was, really cool. Was that's, Wilson an attendant? <laughs> was Wilson in attendance? I have to know. Wilson? Yes. Uh, I, I know Wilson is a, uh, is a, took is me a, a second. Childhood. No, Wilson wasn't <laughs> there. This is uh, many, this is probably 20 years before Wilson was even made. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's Crazy. funny. I, I, you got me there for a second. So, who was the the first person that you came across that when you met them, you were like, this person's definitely going somewhere like that you recognize that they were going to be shining even if they didn't know it yet and you knew like you were in the beginning portion of that well i was i was lucky to work with some really good people that were already um you know getting somewhere jay leno jerry seinfeld but i think the most exciting was that a good uh three years before saturday night live um, I had as a regular act Dana Carvey. In fact, uh, you remember the song Chopping Broccoli? Are you guys too young for that? I'm a little too young for that. Okay, it was on Saturday Night Live, pretty famous. But he and his brother's band came up with some backup singers and actually worked my club for a week. And he was doing that song two years before Saturday Night Live. But the real story, if you know who Dana Carvey is, right? Mm -hmm. that I, I, for the I won't club? lie. Yeah, exactly. He was introduced to, I think, my generation mostly through Master of Disguise. Well, no, yes, not okay. Not, not Wayne's World. I, I, I was definitely not. Wayne's World's Wayne's more China's. China's. But I have seen it. Well, yeah, here's the one. Party time. <laughs> right, right. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the great part about that story was that uh, he was working for me. And one night after the show, we were all hanging out in a jacuzzi, drinking and, and talking about the week's shows. And Dana goes, man, I just got off the phone with Lauren Michaels. They want me to fly to New York. And that's when he found out he got Saturday Night Live. And it was really good to interesting to see that moment because he was both excited and scared because he was a San Francisco based comic and he was being asked to join one of their premier TV shows for stand up comedy in history. And, uh, and he got his shot on Saturday night live. Oh, wow. Wow. That's yeah, that was, that was cool. pretty exciting. So what other big names have you had, uh, cross your paths? Any, any, uh, well, you have uh, one of the pictures, uh, you guys, uh, he's a little quirky, a little different, but Emo Phillips 
was uh, played my club several times. He is uh, comes from the other edge of comedy. A little strange. Uh, see if you can find that picture. He's uh, uh, somebody you might recognize. He uh, that's him right there. Emo Phillips had that uh, Prince. Oh, what's it called? A Prince hilarious. cut or something? Prince Valiant cut. Hmm. And he was just strangest bird you ever. Yeah, he met. looks weird as fuck. but he ended up being a huge star did a lot of tv and uh emo phillips was uh, a unique guy that's a really good name for him emo phillips because he looks emo shit (laughs) well he was uh, uh, a unique guy but uh his and he brought in a more strange audience but uh, he he always brought the show and and they loved him but it wasn't your normal, you know, setup punchline stand-up. It was it was more esoteric. Hmm. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to see Mo Phillips. He looks familiar, like I've seen him in a movie like UHF or something. Like as a you ever had like uh, what about Pry, uh, Pryor Mooney or uh, Carlin? Any anybody like that? Yeah, Paul Mooney worked for me quite a bit. Uh, Pryor was already a, a pretty huge star by the '80s, and um, the uh, uh, I think some of the names that uh, you would definitely recognize, even though you're not quite the right generation, but I was <laughs> able to have Tommy Chong at my club twice. Okay. Of Cheech and Chong fame. He was interesting. Uh, any of you Monty Python fans? Uh, yes. yes I'm a Monty Python fan myself. So Graham Chapman worked for me, uh, and that was an honor for me because they were my heroes in comedy. Uh, That's awesome. Monty Python was one of those uh, uh, just so funny British groups that uh, they haven't come through. It's like the Beatles of comedy. You know, they're from England. Yeah. There was a group of them. And to get one of the leaders, Graham Chapman was the leader of the group, uh, in on my stage and, and uh, work with him was uh, just such an honor and so much fun. But, you know, there, there's a lot that you – wouldn't mean much to you and probably your audience, but uh, Soupy Sales, Pat. Well, Paulson. we do we do have a lot of uh, seasoned audience members. So. Seasoned, well seasoned. Well, th- th- then they're right up my seasoned. alley. That's a good quote. That's a good we choice of We've done myofacial we, therapy in the past and stuff like that, so we we go all over. So don't don't worry about. We have a very for anybody. You let us know what you want to tell us, the, and we're gonna the very eclectic audience. Yeah, well, I, I was the, just if anybody over 50s out there, I actually had sales <laughs> a pie in my face. And anybody that knows Soupy Sales, he had his own TV show for many years in the 50s. He threw a pie in the face of presidents, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, wow. and me, Scott Edwards. <laughs> so he was the OG pie thrower, in, like in well, I guess I wouldn't say that because these dudes were doing that way, way back and even before that. But I guess in terms of being famous and on like regular television, he's like the first guy that was really doing this because to do that to presidents, <laughs> that's oh that's yeah, he got away with the it. Decision. And, and speaking of presidents, Pat Paulson ran for president several times, uh, and uh, from the Rowan and Martin's uh, laugh-in, he was their uh, go-to comic and used to do a lot of stuff. Quick funny story about Pat Paulson. Um, Okay. okay. You, you heard of the knows exactly who they are. All right. And the Smothers Brothers, right? Tommy Smothers, one of the brothers, uh, they were doing a show up in Reno, and I took some uh, uh, gals with me. We went up to see a show, and Pat Paulson got us backstage. And after the show, 
We're in the green room with uh, well, what were you doing with these gals, Scott? Oh, that, that well, it was very legitimate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we we won't go into the story where I took uh, eight young ladies to uh, Vegas and L.A. in a private jet. But, hey, that's another story. <laughs> so we're backstage in the green room with uh, Pat Paulson, and uh, uh, in comes Tommy Smothers, uh, Tommy and Dick Smothers. And one of the gals I was with was sitting on the couch, and that's a we're great all drinking and goofing around. And all of a sudden, Tommy sits next to my friend, and kind of grabs her shoulders and turns her and lays her down, and he gets right on top of her. And he's, you know, talking about, <laughs> talking about, Telling you know, face. you know, it's it was, and this girl that was with me was like my little sister, so it was a little odd because they're famous people, <laughs> and I'm their guest, and he's like trying to dry hump my sister, and well, that's that's rule number one, Scott. That's rule number one. You don't bring your little sister to a party with a guy with a porno name like Dick Smothers. <laughs> well, I uh, I really blew it, and uh, I looked to Pat Paulson for help because he was a good friend of mine. And Pat just goes, "Tommy's got a boner. Tommy's got a boner." <laughs> we had to eventually pull Tommy off, and and the young lady survived the event, but. Uh, it was it was one of those awkward. I don't know if you've been around many celebrities, but you know, you want to treat them like normal people, but it can be uh, challenging in the right situation. I bet. I so, bet it was real challenging at times dealing with so many personalities. It was. It so, was a, a real honor to be backstage with them, but at the same time, here's one of your heroes, and he and he's jumping on your sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely an awkward situation. Uh, yeah, hey, bro, yeah, was, uh, um, could you not help my sister? Yeah, right. What do you that? say? Like, do I get ballsy and pull him off of her? Or do I tell her to just right. take one for the team? Well, that was that was what was difficult. I want my first instinct was to pull him off, but you know, I don't want. Anyway, it it yeah. it was. It's now a funny story, but at the time, it was very awkward. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Imagine how she feels. She's about to get smothered by some dick. Ah. Uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute. It was the smothering. (laughs) So uh, having a club up in Sacramento, that being the the capital, even though people could kind of think of L.A. as the central spot of California, um, did you ever have any relationships or rivalry with the comedy store? No, not the store. Um, I was uh, uh, good friends with uh, the owner down there, and then the improv. I was a regular at those. They would I would use those clubs as showcase rooms. So I would call them up and say, "Hey, I'm coming down." Uh, Bud Friedman at the Improv. Hey, Bud, I'm going to come down. I'm looking for some new talent, and he'd set up a showcase for me. So um, okay. we did that a lot. Uh, not competition. The closest competition was uh, you guys again may not know the name, but Bill Graham was one of the biggest promoters in Northern California. Uh, he managed the Eagles and, and Hendricks and a bunch of people and did Day on the Green, which is a big chain of concerts, a big promoter. And he opened a comedy club called The Punchline. And I once met uh, Bill Graham after one of his concerts backstage. And I was like, you know, he's like one of my heroes uh, when it comes to concert promoters. I'd done a few small concerts. He was like the king. 
And all he could say is, uh, don't you own that uh, comedy club in Sacramento? You know, I, I don't really like that. That's my territory. <laughs> like, he's in San Francisco. I'm in Sacramento and that's his territory. And he was giving me crap. So anyway, never meet your heroes, right? That's what they say. How many clubs did you own? Uh, I opened it, uh, ended up with three clubs, uh, two restaurants and two art galleries. I was to, uh, taking over a small part of the world. Yeah, do, you still, do you still own clubs or? No, no, no. I, um, uh, after 21 years of working, you know, six, seven nights a week and stuff, an opportunity came along to, uh, sell the chain and and i did and i kind of semi-retired when i was 44 and sold the clubs um but uh, i stayed in the business in the sense that i still book four to six uh, concerts uh, mostly fundraisers for charities in northern california and um still work with the comics which was one of the reasons this podcast uh, stand-up comedy your host and mc is so great because it allows me to stay connected to the industry, not only am I able to share live stand-up comedy sets from the 80s and the 90s and on, but every other show I interview uh, these comics. Uh, in fact, just last week, a uh, very funny guy, Will Schreiner, who had his own show, The Will Schreiner Show, and has been in a lot of movies, was able to interview him. Uh, recently uh, interviewed Yakov Smirnoff, famous Russian comic, <laughs> favorite of Ronald Reagan's. And uh, so... So the podcast has helped me stay uh, vibrant in the industry that uh, I really love. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, when did you uh, did did you produce some TV? I believe I I seen somewhere. Yeah, I've I've had uh, two TV series and one uh, TV special. I did a special for the Fox Network, um, which was interesting because it aired the same night as a special called. Uh, an early frost, which was um, about uh, death and mayhem due to nu- nuclear <laughs> mayhem. Mm. So a lot of people watch that instead Very of my light. show. But I had one hour special with Fox, and then I did a uh, series for NBC and another one for the CBS affiliate in Northern California. And a lot of the material that is on the podcast and soon to be released on my membership-only archive videos um, – of a lot of these entertainers we're talking about live on stage. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, busy so, man. Sounds like a good, big, sounds like a good get. You, you, yeah. You I mean, I, to be honest, to, uh, to I bet it's last that I got to work with these guys. Yeah. I got to work with these guys back in the eighties and nineties. And now is a, what, how did you put it? Seasoned young man. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> share i i I own all this material right because i paid them to do tv and stuff and concerts back then so i own the material so i'm able to re-establish it and share it through the podcast and through these uh this video archive so it'll be a lot of fun sounds like fun definitely so yeah who are some of the comics that you guys really like uh i see i grew up in the bronx so i i Grew up around a lot more like Martin Lawrence, Eddie Murphy, uh, Chris Rock. Eddie Murphy, by the way, is my neighbor. Wow. He he owns a house uh, on the lake about uh, uh, 400 yards from me. But uh, we don't, it's not like we're neighbors. We don't see each other, but he, he, uh, 
uh, bought a house over here on a, the private lake and uh, uh, has the house next door for his uh, uh, security staff. So he, he's doing okay. Damn. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a flex. Sure, we'll you come over. You got, you got to bring it to sure, the security we'll house first. For a barbecue, Scott. Yeah, I keep hoping I'll run into him over at the uh, Kmart, but it hasn't happened. <laughs> I'm One pretty day. sure the Kmart shops for him. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> so those are all good people. The the people that I've uh, got a chance to work with out of New York was, of course, Seinfeld. One of the best guys ever. You wouldn't know his name, sadly, but I think one of the funniest guys is uh, Larry Miller. And by the way, Jerry Seinfeld, Larry Miller, um, and uh, Mark Schiff had a club called The Funniest Men in the Universe, and they're all out of New York, and they all came up the ranks together through Catch a Rising Star and the other clubs, uh, the Improv in New York. And Mark Schiff and Larry Miller are, uh, uh, and Jerry all worked for me back in the day, but Mark Schiff and, and Larry and I still talk. In fact, Schiff is uh, one of the interviews on my show. So um, there's a lot of New York flavor in the uh, shows I do. Sounds good. Awesome. Did, do you, did you, uh, did you ever work with or meet people like, uh, like David Tell? anything or um no some of those guys that uh were already got big before they got to la or um you know you have to think of a comedy club like laughs unlimited which is a an a room it's called an a room is like going to college or university right before stardom right so i work with these guys when they were just starting to get showcased just starting to get tv spots on carson and letterman and then, boom, okay. when they hit, they didn't have any need for my club. I mean, I will say Jerry Seinfeld uh, had to cancel a week at my club when his uh, first show started, the Seinfeld Chronicles. And after the first season, he owed me a date. He actually came back and worked a full week for me, which wow, was wow. really uh, an upstanding thing to do. But uh, because he didn't, you know, I wasn't paying him crap compared to what he was making on TV. But he, he, he felt an obligation and came and worked. So, so uh, it has happened, but it's rare. Usually once they reach that level, it's, it's like once you uh, get into college, you don't really think of your high school and junior high that much anymore, right? You know, there's no reason to look backward. You want to look forward. Okay. I, I was just kind of curious because um, having listened to like Joe Rogan's podcast, he has kind of like his friends on there, like Bert Kreischer and Bill Burr and, um, Tom Segura that come through and or Joey Diaz and some of them have actually begun to blow up but a lot of them have just been added for years and they've never really hit stardom but they're well known in comics so I wasn't sure because like that's kind of David Tell he's well known if you know comedy but nowadays if you don't know like uh, I can't remember the name of the show but he had a show back in the late 90s and early 2000s where like right, it was the David right. Tell show I think or something like that he was that guy. Well, tall in two uh, things. First off, uh, you hit the nail on the head because there's uh, really a lot of funny, funny people, and I'm able to share them through my podcast that you've never heard of, but they're really funny people, and they made a 30, 40 year career out of entertaining on colleges and on concerts and on cruise ships and a lot of TV, but they just never got that name uh, celebrity like Seinfeld and Leno or somebody. So, um, there's a lot of people and I get a chance to share that with the podcast 
that are just really funny. Steve Bruner, Tim Bedore, uh, Baby Man Bruce Baum. I, I mean, I could throw out a lot. There's There's been so many. Uh, uh, Tom McTeague, who, you know, been on his own TV show and still not a famous name, but a really funny guy. But the other thing, Joe Rogan is a funny guy and he's got a lot of funny friends, but who the hell has three hours to listen to a podcast? I tell you, it usually takes a while. Man, well, he has long it usually shows. takes a while. We, yes. We're in the break room for two hours, so. That's a, I mean, that's we, we a try lengthy talking show. We're trying to talk guess. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to hear this. Yeah, no. Well, I'm pretty sure nobody hears that. There's a lot of arguing and cussing and a lot of rambling going on in the break room. <laughs> you you keep it lively and vibrant. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. to say the least. Oh, entertaining. And, and China, how do you hold like... up against these two guys? She doesn't. Oh, it's not just... What? I can hold <laughs> we, we let it. We let it. Don't we don't talking gang smack. up on her or nothing. But if I know, we, if sir, we did, I then Jasmine would pop out and smack Jason, so we, we got to be careful. No, sir. I do not talk smack. I talk junk. <laughs> but China, I, I've heard of you on the shows. You hold your own. Good for you. I try. I try. <laughs> well, it's not easy That's when you got good. two funny guys that uh, have an opinion to share and not afraid to do it. Oh, it's four oh, of yeah. them on that show. Oh, four on break room. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I've only been listening to talking yeah, junk. I gotta catch up. Had, uh, Plus, my lovely yeah, wife is on there also. I was just gonna say lately, yes, I've been yeah. blessed with the company fair. of Jasmine. So that's not Jasmine, fair. That Two of us. That's totally so fair. Yeah, that's my wife's guys, name. The way you guys talk, you should be able to handle one, uh, two per, three per. Right. <laughs> Well, good for Jasmine and good for you, and and sorry for the marriage. But anyway, but I'm fine. <laughs> a lot of people out there that are sorry for the marriage. They're sorry. <laughs> no, it's they're it's sorry they can't get in between. Together. Have yeah. you ever worked with Robin Williams? Robin, I, I uh, a couple things about Robin. Yes, I get a chance to uh, uh, work with him a couple times. We saw him several times on uh, stage. A lot of people don't know. Robin got his start in a little-known room called the Holy Zitty Zoo in San Francisco. The room only held 23 people. The stage wow. was maybe five feet in size, and there was even a balcony that only held three people, one of the smallest clubs in the history of professional comedy. But the Holy City Zoo was where people like Dana Carvey and Robin Williams got their start, and Robin had such a love for show business. He was way too big a star. Uh, I mean, Mork and Mindy was already uh, in the works when my club opened up. He was always too big a star to come in as a paid act. However, he loved stand-up so much that twice in the history of my club, he did a concert within a 60-mile radius of my room, and he would show up unannounced, and we would just give him the stage. And after doing a two-hour concert somewhere, he would come in and do an hour for my audience for absolutely free. The audience never knew that he was going to be there. I didn't know he was going to be there. And it was such a thrill to work with him because then after the show, we'd get a chance to hang out and talk. And uh, he was amazing. It was uh, uh, very sad when he uh, passed away. The uh, local TV show actually interviewed me. Uh, about Robin, um, because I was one of the local connections, but uh, uh, an amazing entertainer. And uh, even though he was a tremendous actor, I still feel his roots 
came from stand-up comedy. And uh, just to be a small part of that was amazing. Uh, somebody's asking, Luann's asking about Jim Carrey. Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to work for Jim. He did do stand-up comedy in L.A. Uh, before he became a, a super-duper movie star. But uh, I have not had a chance to work with him. Well, let's not forget Eleven Color. He was on Eleven Color before he was a super duper movie mm -hmm. star. Right, right, and he and he was not uh, ever a straight. I mean, he did some straight stand up comedy, but he was more of a, a skit actor and uh, did a lot of uh, theater work. But uh, yeah, it uh, it's been a, a fun uh, life to lead and in a great career. Um, it sounds I, very interesting. Do you ever get the itch? Oh, I'm. Uh, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because my wife joked when we sold the club that she'd set up a little stage in the corner just so I could appease myself. <laughs> now so I still uh, MC. You know, like I said, I do four to six concerts a year, and I MC all my own shows. In fact, it was funny. One of the comics pointed out last week during the interview that uh, um, I had a lot of celebrities and a lot of people. I had shows six or seven nights a week for 21 years. And I emceed all those shows. Somebody pointed out I probably had more stage time than any single comic. See, you got a lot of experience. Right. <laughs> well, I, I'm not shy. <laughs> and you shouldn't be. As you've had a luxurious career, my friend. Uh, it's been this a whole lot of fun, and it's great to be able to share that as I become the season pro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can you... Uh... Can you think of or give us probably your the best story you can think of, the most unlikely situation that happened or something like that? Just whenever you reminisce, that's the one that yeah, pops up immediately. It's like, oh, man. It usually takes you something to, to take you down a path of a story. But I think one of the more unique things, and if we can just get everybody to recognize that Gary Shandling was one of the funniest guys in America and had lots of television, very famous. But Gary was working uh, my club in 1981, and it was an off night, like a Wednesday night. We had maybe 40 people in the audience and maybe less. Maybe it was 30. And somebody in the audience got up and go to the restroom. And Gary just stood there, and he goes, well, you know, there goes a, a tenth of the audience. All right, let's go. And he took the whole audience into the men's room. <laughs> women and everything and this guy's trying to do his business and Gary's standing behind him doing jokes That's and they all had it standing around in this big bathroom applauding and cheering that see that was a, a question I wanted him. that was a question I wanted to ask you do you think because we did an episode in the break room I believe it was last week um, about uh cancel culture do you think the state of the the world right now is too sensitive to for comedy to really thrive the way it was well that's a really really wait a minute really good question <laughs> uh, yeah the um difficulties with the woke environment and uh and everybody's so sensitive uh, Stand-up comedy is kind of the last bastion for freedom of speech. And what the comics are running into is that um, back in the back in the day when I was owning clubs, if somebody got pissed off, you know, you go, hey, you know, here's your money back. See you later. You know, this, you know, if you were coming to a stand-up comedy show, you have to be 
understand that you're going to hear things that may offend somebody. Everything offends somebody, right? But uh, this is a good question. In fact, I've uh, just started a clubhouse room on Tuesday nights called uh, uh, Tuesday Open Mic. And the whole point of the clubhouse room is to get comics and bookers and, and managers and, and fans together. And one of the topics is the difficulty in entertaining 100 or 200 people in a comedy club when at any point somebody is going to find something offensive. Mm-hmm. And the, the point of that sword has gotten so small that it's really difficult. Um, I, I kind of feel bad for the entertainers of today because, you know, back in the day, you know, you had people like Bobcat Goldthwait and, and, and others that um, Jeff Wayne was another one. Uh, total sexist. I mean, funny, funnier than shit, but, you know, they, they um, could go after people and stuff. There was another guy, uh, uh, and again, one of the funniest you probably never heard of, but look him up, Bobby Slayton, uh, called the Bulldog of Comedy. Uh, has played Vegas, TV, all over. But he goes after everybody. And what makes it great is by the end of the show, he's picked on every race, every sex, every you name it. He doesn't hold back, and it's all funny. But he would struggle more now than he did back in the 80s and 90s because, you know, I don't know what would happen. Maybe, Jason, you tell me, but I'm fearful that – you get up somebody that wants to do some real original comedy and half the room gets up and walks out. Oh my God, I can't take it. You know, they'll, they'll just, they'll have the internet cancel him before his career happens. I, you know, I feel like it, it really depends on like, when you look at something like South park, they've been doing that since their inception, but they've been punching in all directions since they've been there. So there really hasn't been a movement to try and cancel them. Yeah, the they're already the they're trying to cancel Homer Simpson for strangling his uh, cartoon yeah. son. So. And it, like that's reaching, and so is reaching when it comes to comedy because comedy is supposed to be an open forum of right. expression and your attempt to tell a joke. And right. the risk that you take is that that joke is not funny; it's actually just offensive, and people don't like it. And the risk that you take, being a part of the audience, is that it is funny. You don't like it, and it's offensive to you. That's a possibility. Just get but up and walk out. Comedy, you can't come into comedy expecting to be offended. You got to come in to understand that people are going to take their hits. We're here to make fun of each other, here to make jokes, here to laugh. Nothing is malicious. What? It's not with negative intent to make right. you feel some type of way. And when you step up and you say, hey, I feel some type of way, this makes me think this or feel this way, why is it suddenly about you? This is not about you. Nobody's calling you. We're trying to involve you in the group of comedy because if you can't be laughed at and laugh with each other, you're automatically ostracizing yourself from society. Well, I guess that's why we're here, though. That's exactly why we're here. We're talking junk, damn it. That's why we're doing it. (laughs) Exactly. We're here to say, fuck your sensitive asses. (laughs) Well, I think it's a pendulum in society, and I think it's going to swing back, I'm hoping. But a funny Hopefully story. Hopefully I was, not too yeah, hard. Yeah, I, that right. 
I was emceeing one night and there was a group of like uh, 12 different uh, black guys and they were celebrating a guy's bachelor party and they were getting a little drunk and there was one white guy in the group and I'm joking with him because I'm trying to calm him down. So I give him a little attention and then tell him to shut the fuck up. Right. So I'm talking to him and I go and the one white guy yells out and I go, you know, what are you even doing here? How do you fit into this family? Right. You're obviously not part of the family. <laughs> and he's like, what? what that's racist you know and I, i'm like come on you got 12 black the guys only white you. guy in the group telling the white guy that's not in right. the group that he's right. not in the group and that's racist oh, right right and of course his friends were like laughing because he was making such an ass of himself but it was so funny how the role was reversed and he still found it you know find a way to get offended it was it was hilarious part of my bachelorette like party we went to a comedy club Oh, we used to love bachelorette parties. Did you have fun? Uh, yeah, I went with my future wife, who's my wife now. And of course, we were I used sitting to tell in the, the girls, front. Turn up the vibrators. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. Like, they picked on us, they made jokes, we laughed, and they kept it moving. Like, it wasn't a solid punch, like, the whole time. No, no. And, and I have seen an, an huh? entertainer go off on one person way too much. And uh, that's not right either. But it was very rare, you know, maybe twice in 20 years. I'm By the way, Don is asking about, or Colleen wants to know about Gallagher. Uh, I have not had a chance to work with Gallagher, but I, I did get some uh, watermelon seeds in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, before Scott, before we let you get back to your busy life in retirement, uh do you have any advice to an up-and-coming uh, comic right now? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, and thanks for asking, Jason. You get you get a little applause. <laughs> Good timing. Uh, I actually am about to launch an online comedy course based on a book I wrote called Be a Stand-Up Comic or Just Look Like One. And that, <laughs> oh, there you go. It's mentioned on my website. And uh, it is really difficult to be a stand-up comic, but if you want to learn about it, um, my book will guide you through that. And if you scroll down a little more, you'll see the book for sale. Digital versions, only uh, $10, and it will guide you through um, uh, what it takes to be a stand-up comic. There it is right there. Stand-up comedy, be one or just look like one, right? Uh, oh, you want to hear something funny? Uh, use your mouse and go to the uh, right below the word like. Use, use your mouse and go right below the word like on that. It looked like one. Yeah, see that? That's me. I'm the, on my own cover. <laughs> I sat in the audience for the picture. I thought that was silly. Anyway. I'm trying to make it bigger. No, no, I'm just messing with you. So, I mean, it was me, but I mean, it's it, that's the book. Uh, Be a stand-up comic or just look like one. It's a comedy career guide. Go. Oh, you can see. There's there's, there's the big Waldo. mustache I told you about. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that's not one of my best shots. <laughs> But the book is a great guide, and the best advice I can give anybody that wants to be a comic, even if you don't want to be a comic, I recommend everybody get on stage. Go to an open mic, get up on stage, bomb, die, kill, whatever happens. It's a great experience and something that will um, make your life that much more fulfilled. 
Well, it's similar it's to riding part. a bike and similar to uh, podcasting. You're going to have uh, some good tries. You're going to have some flat tires. You're going to scrape your knee a lot. But as long as you keep it moving, yeah. you're going to do just fine. Great advice, Jason. Podcast, stand-up comedy, even starting a business. Just do it. Don't talk just about do it. it. Be Nike. Be one. I was just going <laughs> to say, we can't steal that logo. <laughs> Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We want to thank you. We're very honored that you would uh, grace us with your presence. And we I hope to have you, you on a break room show. I told you, Jason, I was a little nervous being on with three young, hip people like you guys, but it's been a real joy uh, sharing stories and, and uh, talking junk with you guys. Well, the pleasure is all ours. Yeah, and, you know, definitely. I wanted to let you know, too, that that is a common misconception of ours. Although we do talk a lot of shit, um, <laughs> we, talking junk is called talking junk because we have various different people on through various walks of life. And maybe the shit that I'm talking about today is not for you, but maybe tomorrow will be. Right. It's just junk. To, one man's junk is another man's treasure. Yeah. As, uh, I heard that on one of your shows, and I, and in fact, you did a nice intro piece, and you mentioned that, and I thought that was very intelligent, and, and I was shocked actually. <laughs> well, I can't take credit for that. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> well, uh, that's what artists do. I got well, it. Wasn't <laughs> no swiping. No swiping. Yeah. It's it's been really uh, fun being on and in Dom, it was, Dom Brightman uh, came up with that slogan. So thank you, Dom. Oh, nice, nice. Well, you guys were a great group, and it's a great podcast. I had a chance to listen to a few shows. You're sharing something with them, the world that's important, and uh, uh, I too am honored to be on the show. And uh, uh, hopefully, I didn't lay an egg. Well, <laughs> well, thank you, thank you very much for setting your standards so low. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure guys you all have a great night and uh this this was friday night see you tomorrow see you tomorrow